preach in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be here. I'm not sure what to call this this morning. Should I call it a sermon? Should I call it the rambling thoughts of a old bishop? Should I call it, uh, well, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's going to be a mixture, I can tell you that right now. Uh, Midwest meetings, one of the preachers said, so what would it be like if you got old and your family got all your stuff out, put it out in the driveway and got the auctioneer to come and he looked over it and he said, well, there ain't enough here to even have an auction. All your accumulations for you, of your life. So how, how would you feel about that? And being pushing 62, so you go 20, 40, 60, 80. So what juncture does that put me at? And, you know, Lord willing, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. But best you could hope for probably about three quarters of the way through. So, moved here in 93, been here about 21 years, so three sevens are 21, four sevens are 28, so where does that put me in, if you want to call it, preaching career? And about three quarters of the way through. So, I don't know if you call it facing end-of-life issues. <laughs> I don't like that term at this point. No, no, no. I don't like that term at this point. But, you can't, I can't say that I'm looking at halfway through issues. I ain't look I'm not looking at one quarter of the way through issues. I, so I have to admit that I'm looking at end of life issues, even though hopefully good ways away. If anybody's getting nervous and shaky here and thinking that I'm having premonition that I'm gonna die tomorrow, forget it. I mean that's not that that's that, this is not part of the equation here, all right? That, that's not yeah. But the question is, how do I want to end? Now that question is more real to me at 61 than probably if you're 18. However, that question is as critical at 18 as it is at 20, 61. All right? Because how you are at 18, I'm just picking arbitrary age, how you are at 18, probably how you're going to live through your middle years, whatever, 
And by the time you get 60, whatever you did in the middle years, you'd probably be magnified from 60 on. In other words, if you're relatively cranky and negative, uh, it's just going to get worse, I can tell you that. It's just going to get worse. If nice, easy to get along with, kind of laid back, thankful, Probably get, you know, that'll get magnified. You know, you met people. So, reality is reality. We all have to face reality. None of us is going to be here forever. So the question comes to all of us: How are we going to end up? How do you want to end up? Thinking about that, I mean, it's like, all right, so in the next six months, next two, three months, we'll have to make some kind of a decision whether we're going to have ordination in spring of 16. So that's heavy on my mind. Um, our last business meeting, leadership is given responsibility to come up with some kind of proposal for the youth. That's heavy on my mind. So, where do we want to end up? Friday, Lynn and I went to Brainerd, and I'm raking trash in the yard. I ran a chainsaw for half an hour, and I decided, you know, I don't need to be in the pressure of everybody waiting for the tops and all this stuff and so I just took my hard hat off and chaps and all that stuff and just grabbed a rake. I figured I can rake at my own rate. I don't have to. And it seemed like the rakes were not being used that greatly anyhow. They prefer to do the macho stuff. Well, I'm a little past the macho thing so we'll just rake. So I could rake at my own leisure. So you raking treetops and all right, does and this is rapid response, so like does this really make a difference? I mean if the tree's on top of the house and everything's bashed in and got rain to forecast and all this, you know, you gotta get the tarps on, you got you know, all this stuff, but like trees. Like it make a difference in the end? Whether rapid response does trees or not? And you think about trees versus loss of life. Does it make any difference to anybody how they end, if they end well or not, in relation to trees? Does it matter if a minister ends well? Does it matter with these 29 young souls here in the front line here this morning? Will they end well? Does it matter whether these rows here end well? Does it matter the people back there end well? Does it matter?
would all agree it does matter. It matters, and it really matters. Now, every single soul here this morning ends. It is of critical import importance. So if the goal is that everybody ends well, how do we reach the goal? It's important that the preacher ends well. If it's important that the youth end well, if it's important that the children end well, if it's important all the parents, if everybody, how are we going to get there? Despite how attractive and how comfortable the proposition may be, I have to admit that if I sit on my easy chair, I'm not going to get there. It's not going to happen. That's, that, that's reality. If I have a goal, if I have a goal, I need to work for that goal. If I don't have a goal, and I think that doing nothing is going to be satisfactory, then I have to live with the results of doing nothing. That applies to everything in life. Because something will happen by default. And I have to live with that. Like if my easy chair is my priority, then I have to live with the results of sitting in my easy chair. But if I'm concerned about myself, and if I'm concerned about everybody here this morning, then all at once, people make a difference. All at once, age doesn't make a difference. All at once, even trees make a difference. Not because of how much shade I had or how much shade I don't have, but the differences in the life of the person that lost the shade. Will the man who lost the shade end well? So even though it may appear because the house isn't bashed out, down and because the trees fell into the yard and it's somewhat trivial in the whole scheme of things, whether the trees are there or whether they're not, it does make a difference in the life of the person who lost the trees. And so the homeowner asked Lynn, what makes you guys do something like this? Now you think about that. What would you tell a homeowner, and Lynn fired this at me on the way home, what would you tell a homeowner if the homeowner asked you, what makes you guys do things like this? 
do something like this. What would you say? Doesn't it boil down? Because I want you to end well. The trees are only the method. The work is the motivation to prove to someone that I want you to end well. See, that clarifies our thinking. What the homeowner was asking, what is your goal in life? What ticks inside you to drive three and a half hours to cut up trees in my backyard for free? What ticks in you? What makes that happen? See, he's asking core questions. What is your life all about? So what is my goal? What is your goal? And notice that question singular, not plural. What is our goal? So what do I have to do so that if my family brings all my earthly goods and they set them in the driveway and the auctioneer comes along and he says it ain't worth a sale, that that is a blessing and not a overwhelming declaration that I have been a failure in life. What do I need to do? That my life was not wasted pursuing something that eluded me all my life and they don't even, it's not worth the time. Anybody give me a dollar? Fifty cents. Oh, throw in a couple more boxes. I can't get a bit. Dollar for four boxes here. Finally somebody gives ten cents. And your prize chainsaw that always started, when it comes to the sale day, they pull and they pull and they pull and they pull, and it brings about one-third of what it's worth because you forgot to turn the on switch off, you know, or something. Somebody, what? And they say, you know, I ran a half an hour ago. Am I supposed to believe that? Now, you know and I, as well as I, that it takes all kinds of things to make life work. It takes... I was going to draw a graph here, but man, the graph got so complicated, and, and uh, you know, it's a big circle. 
Okay, it's the big circle. In that circle, you have your personal re relationship with God. You have your work. You've got to go to work. You've got to make money to pay the bills. You've got to have some time to sleep. And you've got to have some time for the family. And you have to have some time for the other people. And can't get it all done. I just can't get it all done. What do I do? You know, I struggle with this just a little bit now. But when my children were four, five, six, ten, whatever, I mean, I battled this thing constantly, constantly, constantly. I'm supposed to be a good preacher. I'm supposed to be a good breadwinner. I'm supposed to be go to Bible school and teach Bible school. I'm supposed to go for revival meetings and a gal and, and you know and you have these and I had this bishop tell me you know when they call you on the when I, the, I mean this is the day I was ordained I think when they call you on the phone you tell them I'll be there he said you know they call me and my wife's crying in the background cause, but that's okay he said you, I just tell them I'll be there he said God take care of your family you know what I'm sorry folks but I never bought it and I'm glad I didn't and I'll tell you in a few minutes why. There's a hymn in Zion's Praises. And it's not on the, in the rack today, alright? It's called, Come Ye Apart. And I'll read a couple of verses at least. Come ye apart, it is the Lord who calls us. And oh, what tenderness is in his tone. He bids us leave the busy world behind us and draw apart a while with him alone. Mid restless crowds with all their noise and tumult, no rest, no leisure find our spirits there. Our vision fails. Our sense of life's proportion, unless we seek the quiet place of prayer. And we're talking about busy, 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 busy. How can I function? What should I do to get where I want to go with all that's going on? All right? Full well he knows. For he himself hath made us, yea, he himself was human as are we. How much we need the calm of sweet communion, new strength to gain for battles yet to be. And there's two more verses. I can't get everything done. Alright? Anybody here can get everything done that they think they need to do or they should do. Put your hand up high. Please stand. It is not going to happen. Where do we get a sense of life's proportion? Where do we get it? What is it? What is that sense of life's proportion that God wants me as an individual to experience and what God wants us 
as the congregation to experience, including all the visitors. What is that? Is it so elusive that I will never find it? If your life was a pie, what would it look like? I'm trying to think of, you know, so this much is work, this much is family, this as much is whatever. But God has given you a pie. And, you know, as, a, as an illustration. What you can do. What's within your capability. Alright? Within your capability is in this pie. What does it look like? Can I assume? Now, I'm thinking, I'll make this big diagram and we'll do how much family, how much work, how much this. And like, first of all, how you, how you make it. And when you move family, everything else will just kind of slide around. And, but, and so I kind of gave up on that idea. But, let's just think. What God gave us within our capabilities is in that pie. All right? What God's will for our life is in that pie. Can we, can we assume that everything in that pie is for me? No, though, it's all work, it's all family, it's all family vacations, it's all, everything revolves around me. It's all those slices of pie for my consumption. Or did God put a slice of pie in there that is not for me to eat? That piece of pie belongs to someone else. You know, if I think that that whole piece of pie is for me, when they bring all that junk out of the driveway and the auctioneer says it ain't worth having a sale, folks, I have failed miserably. Tragically. You cannot comprehend the loss of a person that thought life was all about themselves, life was all about accumulation, life was all about me, and life was over even if they got a million dollars for what was in the driveway, that you had to leave it in the hand of somebody else and face God with empty hands. You know, I think at the judgment, there's going to be, we're going to be able to stand there and we're going to look back and we're going to look forward. And God's going to look back and He's going to look forward. And what He sees back here, He's going to say, I don't even know who you are. Or He's going to say, look what you got. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of my Lord. And I tell you, it's not going to happen if all the world is about me. Because God isn't in the equation. He's not even in the pie. We have a Bible school, what we call, if I can fish it out here, 
That's a piece of paper. It's called a budget. All right. And, uh, you know, we ask for money, and people give money, and but they, no, you preachers see that everybody, all the preachers get a budget. But uh, I don't know if congregation know what's going on down there or not. But our budget currently for this come, this year is $251,100 for time across the quarter of a million. All right. That is an incredible amount of money. It's just the way it is. But Warren and I, it's like at the end of the year, we, we've got to get get this thing up and we got to put it together and, and, and we got to stand in front of all these preachers and say, this is it. This is, this is how we spent the money. This is how much came in. This is how much resources we had. This is how we dispersed it. And so we have uh, tank, uh, you know, income, donations, offering, interest, miscellaneous, student transportation, tuition, income, then expenses. We have bookstore, building insurance, capital, food, janitorial, phone, staff allowance, taxes, travel, tuition, refund, utilities, all this stuff. And it all comes down to you have to get account for all this. So what would happen? If I decided that I had this little pet project in Maranatha Bible School, and I don't really care what the budget says, I don't care what's in the pot, I'm going to spend $160,000 on my little pet project. And so I do that. You know, it just makes all sense in the world. But when the students come in January, we look and say, you know, we don't really have any money left, hardly. Uh, so we'll just announce to the students, sorry folks, <clears throat> I spent all the money on my little pet project, you guys got to have one meal a day. Your piece of pie is just a kinky little sliver, but my piece is here. How do you think I'd go over? Do we ever do that? We have our pet little projects and we have our things that we want to do and the slice that's supposed to go to somebody else. Sorry folks, I just ate it myself. Now I don't know where the pie's lines are. Your pie's lines change, I acknowledge, your pie lines change in different phases of your life. Some phases of your life does ask for more family. Some phases of your life maybe does ask you to go away from home. Some phases of your life give you opportunities you can't do other phases of life. But the point I want to make this morning and remind us all, there's a piece in there for somebody else. And it doesn't matter what mental arguments I may conjure, conjure in my mind, that piece is there and God intends it to go to someone else. And it's to our spiritual detriment 
to eat it. Because God intends our life to have proportion. Our life must have proportion. I need to balance the budget. For years we had library on the budget. I what I know what was it? Three hundred bucks. It wasn't big amount. Every year, zero or fifty bucks or sixty-five or yeah. year after year after year. And finally, Warren says to me, or I say to Warren, it's like, what do we put this in here for? It's like we budget money for them and never spend it. Like, what's the point? So we just, you know, library don't have income anyhow, so just get rid of the category. Put it in with a bookstore. So guess what happened? We neglect and we neglect and we neglect and we neglect the library. The books get worn and worn and worn and worn and worn. The facts start falling off. And finally, the library is a shabby situation. Okay, so Pete needs to get into the United States. He needs something to do to... to for his, you know, whatever, enjoying to do something while they're waiting on the power to be. And so they decide, this is our chance, man. I mean, we have this neglected library, and, I mean, the books are falling apart. They need replaced. We need all this stuff. And, and so we get all the books, and we have stacks of books. I mean, stacks of books. The covers are falling off, and they're just, you know, the pages are coming out, and, and all this stuff, and we look and we see it, look how much it is to replace them, and so that's too expensive, so we buy bookbinding machines, put them in there, and you re-glue the back on, and take them home, and we saw the back off of them, the table saw, and we go down there and get this glue machine, put them in there, and we put them all back together, and, and you know, and some books you can't salvage, and so books are expensive, and so we buy books, and we buy books, and we... Organization stuff, you know, you stick them in there and it sort of paperbacks aren't falling all over the place. And, and all at once, guess what happened to the, to the bookstore budget? We're 4000 over. Oh, payday. Turn me in your Bibles to Joshua 11:15. I don't know what it'd be like. You know, one of the devotionals, uh, the Boys Prayer Circle, Maranatha. One time, the speaker said, "You know, the Bible sums up people's life in a sentence. They did what was right in the sight of the Lord, or they did horrible in the sight of the Lord, not in those terms, or whatever." And uh, the just of the prayer circle, what would your life be summed up in one sentence. Joshua eleven fifteen. As the Lord commanded Moses' of servant, so did Moses command Joshua. And so did Joshua. And get this next phrase. He left nothing undone of all that all the Lord commanded Moses. 
Now here's a man that has his walk with God, his tithe, in proportion. Joshua, how, how could you have a better testimony? I, I just don't know how. Somehow, he had things to do. He had pressure. He had all, all these things, and he, he fought them just like you and I did. But somehow in the end, he had a sense of proportion that the Bible says he left nothing undone of all the Lord commanded Moses. Brothers and sisters, that is an incredible statement. An incredible statement. What to God? That can be said of all of us. A sense of life's proportion. Now I'm talking primarily spiritually here. How many have read this book? Hands up high. Life in a Global Village. I want to tell you something. Every single family in this church needs life in a global village. Every single child in this church needs life in a global village. If they took the whole world and squeezed it down in proportion to a village of 100 people, what would it look like? And I say that to say this. Our pie is a lot bigger than most of the people's pie in the world. And that only brings forward the fact that we're more responsible about not only what's in the pie, but the size of the pie. That is an incredible book. For example, if you were in a global village, you would be the only one with a vehicle. One out of a hundred. It talks about how many people have toilets and how many people have toilet paper and how many people... This gentleman went away from home to make money for his family. It's one of the illustrations. His bicycle cost... $125. He say, he's been saving and making payments on the bicycle for three years. He has two more years to go. You talk about a sense of life's proportion. That is a wake-up call. Joshua had a sense of life's proportion, but the Pharisees didn't. If you want to turn to Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! And why did he say it? For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, spices, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, 
judgment, mercy, faith. These he ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. He says, it's all in your pie. And I looked at that and, and in different translations. Some of them say, these, the last several, mercy and all those, you should do but not leave the spices. Others would leave us the idea that both of them need to be done, but they're out of proportion. But that was the problem. He said, you're spending too much time on weighing out these little spices and the proportion to the spices in relation to the mercy is way out. And because of that, you are receiving my woe. My brother-in-law made a dramatic statement over his pulpit several years ago that I never forgot and I hope I never forget. And he said, he has often wondered why the Bible has so much to say about the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. And he said, I have come to the conclusion because they are so much like me. You know what? It's way easier to stay home and waste spices. You relate to that? I can relate to that. It's way easier to stay home and waste spices. And beside that, you can waste spices and still prove, I can waste spices and still prove my commitment. God says I'm supposed to do this. And so I'm committed to it. And I am going to waste spices. You can't, ever, you can't ever doubt Dennis's commitment because, you know, that's what the Bible says. And he's doing exactly what the Bible says. Now, if you miss everything I've said this morning, there's a concept that you want to take home. And I want to apply to my life that has impacted me in my preparation of this sermon. Is, and I'll state it in a personal form. It's way easier for me to hide behind commitment than to be honest about proportion. It's way easier for me to hide behind commitment than it is to be honest about proportion. See, all my commitments may be godly, as godly can be, but am I willing to be real about the proportion? See, I can say, God calls me to be a preacher, and I can go with the old, old bishop's advice, that every time the phone rings, I should go out for, for me. Alright? I can do that. Dennis is committed. He's committed. He's committed. And he's committed. But what about the family? Get it? Or I can say, my family, 
I mean, there's nothing coming my family. It's my family, my family, my family, my family. I can stand behind it. I'm a godly father. My family's just it. What about the neighbor? Or what about the meeting? Somebody's got to preach the meeting. Don't they? We expect them to be preached here. Billy Sunday was a powerful evangelist. But between his three sons, he had nine wives. And his wife outlived, I think, if I get this correctly, all the children because of their excessively sinful lifestyle. He didn't have time to be home. Mrs. Sunday didn't have time to be home. The children were raised by a nanny. Look good. You read the paper? You don't read that part. Thousands of people came to the Lord. Was it in proportion? You see, my commitment can allow me to be comfortable and even somewhat carnal. But my proportions will not allow me to do that. If I'm really honest, my proportions will not allow me to do that. See, I can't hide behind anything when it comes to proportions, but I can hide behind all kinds of things under the guise of commitment. I'm not minimizing commitment. I'm just simply saying that's the way it is in my life. You know, I am really convicted. I am really convicted when these people row into Bible school to clean the Bible school second week in November. I am really convicted. Now, if they're old people and they're half retired and they come, you know, and they got all the time in the world and they can come and whatever. But when somebody comes to me and says, you know, we got to get home, by, we prefer to get home a certain time because I've taken four of my vacation days. Bible school. And I think, you know, what all godly things could they do in those four vacation days? But somehow or the other, they know there's a piece of pie that they are not to consume. And they know that it's healthy for them personally. That that is in proportion. And so they give up their ability to go to the lake or their ability to see wall drugs. <laughs> yeah, don't go to wall drugs. But anyhow, you know what I'm saying. And they scrub toilets. And they clean walls. And they get the grease out of the hood in the kitchen. And they scrub and wax floors. They know if the youth that come to Maranatha Bible School are going to end well. They've got to give their piece of pie. 
that's just the way it is. I don't know about you. I personally found that the work of the Lord is hard work. I'm going to be honest with you and real with you this morning. The work of the Lord is not easy work. It is hard work. It looks like mountains. My wife and I on the way over to Cass, we're looking at each other going across 21. We're saying, what do we do this for? Like, what possessed us to commit ourselves to doing this when we never did it and don't have a clue? And is just like jumping in blind and... The work of the Lord is physically draining. The work of the Lord is emotionally draining. It is. You got to get real. You're not going to make a whole pile of money at it. We went to ministers' meeting and. Maranatha from Ohio the first time, and I next time we got together, it's okay, it's the bishop, so I'm, what's my part to pay? And he says, so yeah, what a gas was this, and whatever, and we figured it out. And he looked at me, and he said, well, one thing you're going to have to learn, Dennis, right away, he said, being a preacher you don't, is not a money-making proposition. That, that's just the way it is. He said, you might as well get used to it real quick, and uh, so well, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. But God doesn't ask me to begrudgingly give my piece of pie. He asked me to do it joyfully. He asked me to do it willingly. To invest that piece into the life of someone around me. I'm emphasizing this because the other part just comes fairly normal. I mean, we can cover our hide all over the place. It's not hard. But we're talking about the piece of pie. I need to get up off my easy chair. I need to stand on my two feet. I need to get it in shoe leather. I need to care deeply. And I need to care humbly. As a songwriter puts it, no show, no ostentation. It's not what I'm doing. It's not about me. It's not about the chainsaw. It's not about the trees. It's about the piece of pie. that I'm willing to give so that everyone around me as well You know, sometimes I find my life or my thinking upside down. It's a confession this morning. And I find myself evaluating what I can afford to do. 
rather than asking myself, what can I not afford not to do? Merle Burkholder tells a story of the time this wealthy man invited him to his house. I'm not sure what the occasion was, but he said, I'll meet you at the end of the driveway. And so, and how many here heard this story? Yeah, okay. This is a rough draft, very rough draft. He said, I'll meet you at the end of the driveway. You come in this road, I'll meet you at the end of the driveway and come to our place for supper, dinner, whatever the fancy people call it. So he's driving down the road, and here's the BMW or Mercedes or whatever it was. I don't know, maybe Lamborghini. I don't know what it was. Sitting in, and the guy's waving him in. So he follows him in the driveway, and he gets to thinking, oh, man, wouldn't it be nice to have a car like that? Here I am, just a missionary all my life. And it's, I mean, that'd be really, really nice to have a car like that. I'm driving this old thing that's got so many hundred thousand miles or whatever and it gets me where I want to go, but man, it, it'd be really, really nice to have this car. So he, and they come around the bend in the woods and here's the half a million dollar house. Oh man, I should have just quit when I was 21, moved to Pennsylvania. You know, maybe I could have my $500,000 house. A nice car. I mean, this is unbelievable. And, and he's starting to feel sorry for himself. And the guy says, well, you know, we've got stakes or whatever on here. And you don't have, you know, not going to be ready right away. You can get down to the dock. So he gets down to the dock. Here's a big sailboat. And he's got pontoon boat. And what all the toys. I mean, his toys are all over the place. And he's just thinking, oh, I mean, Lakeside, big house, nice car, boat, all the stuff. He says, you know, it just, man, I. So they go in the house and, you know, he's serving a steak and he says, you know, I, I just like the steak was not, it, it just wasn't good. He just thinking, you know, it's like, oh. So they're in the middle of the meal, toward the end of the meal or whatever, subsequent to sitting down to eat and man says, so tell us about what you've done all your life. So he's telling them, working with the native people in Canada and going down to Haiti, living like the Haitians for a year and, or whatever, and how he invested his, you know, his entire life was all around mission work and whatever. And the man turns to his wife. He says, honey, think we missed it. Now, is it okay to have a car? Is it okay to have a house? Is it okay to have a boat? What about the proportion? We have a man with everything materially. We have a man invested his entire life in mission work. The testimony was, honey, we've missed it. Merle said, I was so convicted. My thoughts for the 
previous 45 minutes. So do I need more pie? No, I need vision. I need a greater sense of calling. I need balance. I need proportion. I need a sense of urgency. You know, and when I get the vision, when I get the calling, understand the calling, when I understand what the proportions are supposed to be, then I'll be ready to shepherd God's flock the way He intends it to be shepherded. I'll be ready to be part of the givers, the encouragers, the sign-up sheeters. That's not proper English. You know what I'm talking about. The volunteers, the Christians, that are going to end well. Because I've invested in things that are heavenly. And I believe if each one of us do that, we can come to the end of our life saying my life was in proportion. Fully on the sale. Doesn't even come on the radar. And my life will have reflected the glory of God. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Let's kneel together in prayer. Selfish. We've eaten pie enough, it's not ours. And we repent of that. Lord, I pray that you would give us vision. You would give us proportion. You would give us urgency. You would adjust our values. And I pray, Lord, that we all would end well in Jesus' name.